The Jazz and the Knicks trade talks have completely stalled. They've come to a halt, and now we're witnessing a good old Wild West standoff between Leon Rose and Danny Ainge. Yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Yelling and Propelling, episode number 10. We have reached double digits, ladies and gentlemen, double digits. Shout out to Cliff Averill, Cliff Robinson, and Cliff Bars, which is something I just ate. I was like, what should I do for the daily shout outs for today's episode? And I was like, well, that Cliff Bar I ate was pretty good. Um, if you're in the market for a new uh, and really good protein or granola bar, which I'm sure you're not, uh, but give Cliff Bars a shot. I, I, this is not sponsored in any way, shape, or form. I just really like Cliff Bars, and um, now I'm promoing them for no apparent reason. And now I'm blabbering. But anyways, welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you for tuning back in. The last time that I spoke to you, I left you with a message saying, next week's episode, I'll talk about this, this, or whatever, and there was no episode the following week, nor was there one the following following week, and I do apologize for that now that it's been three weeks. Um, I'm not going to bore you with my list of excuses as to why I haven't posted an episode in a little bit, um, but the main thing is that I lost my laptop in Newark Airport. Uh, I left it in one of the security bins and walked away without it. Didn't even realize until like almost 12 hours later, which I don't even know how, Um but I thought I would never see it again because you lose something in Newark Airport um, or any airport for that matter. It's, it's, it's a death sentence for that valuable. Um, but by some miracle, I got an email from TSA after I had submitted a form uh, saying that we have found your lost item. And I was like I shocked. I could not believe it until I actually like my laptop was back in my possession um, which it was just a couple days ago. I got it shipped from Newark Airport to Atlanta, which is why I was at the airport. I was flying to Atlanta. Um, so here we are now. I'm, I'm Again, I'm sorry that it's been a little bit because the last episode I posted, um, or sometime recently, I had another little unannounced hiatus. Um, but things just keep coming up. But I, again, I don't want to make excuses. I'm back, um, and I'm excited to get this episode out. Let me start off with the weekly recap segment. We're in a bit of a gray area for the 2022 NBA offseason. Uh, the offseason to the offseason, if you will. There's nothing really notable. Like, there's no notable dates until, like, maybe three weeks from now. So, there is some news to report, and I will report just that. Number one, something you've probably already heard of, James Harden took a big pay cut. He declined his $47 million player option and accepted $33 million for next season with the Sixers and released a statement sometime afterwards and said, my sole goal for next season is to bring a championship to Philly. He wants to give the team that flexibility to go get other players and bring in some more talent if necessary, you know, some at some point later in the season. So, big props to James Harden. However, big however here, the Sixers are actually being investigated for possible tampering charges. And it, this one's pretty interesting. Listen to this. So, per Woj, the NBA is pursuing circumstances surrounding Harden declining his $47 million option to sign a one-plus-one deal that cut his salary to $33 million, as I just reported, and gave the team more flexibility to sign P.J. Tucker and Daniel House. So, some have wondered if another 
deal was already in place for the future, which of course is against CBA rules. Basically, the timing of everything is what has the league suspicious. The Sixers front office is in full cooperation, um, and head coach Doc Rivers is of the opinion that the team did nothing wrong. The Sixers are the second team we've heard in tampering rumors so far this offseason, with the Knicks, of course, being the first. Some huge news broke about a week and a half ago, and that is that the Celtics are pursuing Kevin Durant. That alone isn't groundbreaking news, because who wouldn't want KD on their roster? But what is pretty crazy is that the Celtics actually offered a package to the Nets with Jalen Brown included in the deal. And in case you were wondering, because I sure was, uh, what Jalen Brown's reaction was to this report, he tweeted a very short and sweet, and I quote, SMH. Left it at that, and we haven't heard anything since. It was kind of just that report, and then we got the reaction from Brown. Sources said that Brooklyn counteroffered with something that the Celtics weren't interested in, so the sides are nowhere close on a deal right now, but still very intriguing news nonetheless. Just to fire off a couple of other lesser-known transactions that went down in the past couple of weeks, our boy Taj Gibson went and signed with the Wizards, so we wish him all the best, of course. Taj, ultimate veteran. Um, he'll be a great piece of uh, Washington's bench if they were to make a playoff push in this upcoming season. Pat Connaughton reached a three-year, $30 million extension with the Bucks, so he'll stay there, most likely in a starting shooting guard role, if not some important role off the bench. Keldon Johnson of the Spurs reached a four-year, $80 million contract extension, which in a couple of years from now, if he turns out to be as good as some people are expecting him to be, could look like a bargain because he'll only be earning $20 million a year. Um, I'm a big fan of Keldon Johnson. I think he'll be a pretty solid player for the Spurs. And power forward Jermichael Green is finalizing a contract buyout with the Oklahoma City Thunder and has plans to sign with the Golden State Warriors afterwards. Now to wrap up today's weekly recap segment, I have some very sad news to report NBA legend Bill Russell passed away at age 88 just about four days ago. Um, it was reported in the morning and the entire day. The NBA community was grieving. Obviously, Bill Russell, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, arguably the best center in NBA history, and undoubtedly the greatest winner in sports history, if you were to ask me. So, RIP to Mr. Russell, and my condolences go out to his entire family. Let's move along to the topic of this episode, which of course is about the trade talks between the Knicks and the Jazz. I talked a ton about it in the last episode uh, and talked about how confident I am that Donovan Mitchell will be a Nick by the start of this upcoming season. And fast forward three weeks from then to the present, and here we are. The Jazz and the Knicks trade talks have completely stalled. They've come to a halt, and now we're witnessing a good old Wild West standoff between Leon Rose and Danny Ainge. So the million-dollar question is as follows. Who's going to budge first? Just to be clear, I want to emphasize that both sides are still very motivated to get a deal done. As I reported um, probably multiple times in um, previous episodes, the Jazz picked the Knicks. They handpicked us as a suitor for Donovan Mitchell. If a trade were to get done, they want it to be to the Knicks, that we are their number one option. And of course, there's still motivation on our side. We think that we can get their asking price down. But just as like a general... like. Think like in these types of situations, like the break that we're going on here with the Jazz, they're gonna go listen to other offers. Shams reported recently that 
Uh, the Hornets and the Wizards are two other potential suitors, and they're listening to offers from them probably as we speak, uh, and they're listening to Miami's offers. They're just Miami just keeps calling and saying, hey, we'll give you a hero and three first-round picks, and the Jazz keep hanging up. It's the same thing over and over. It's like a broken record. But anyways, the two organizations had talked for probably up to like two weeks straight um, just trying to get a deal done, and both are firm on their asking price. Obviously, we know Danny Ainge wants a historic return for Donovan Mitchell, uh, and he is looking for a return better than what he got for Gobert. And a lot of people, including myself, look at that Gobert deal and say that they they got so much. Like, they got, like, too much. Like, the Timberwolves, like, overpaid, if anything, right? So we don't want to have to do that. We don't want to have to pay... Uh, anything more than that, really. It was the five first-round picks, and technically six if you factor in, uh, I want to say his name is Walker Walker Kessler. Uh, I think that's what his name is. Anyways, he uh, was the Timberwolves pick. I think he was picked like 24th in this year's draft. Obviously, they got no value out of him. They didn't, like, he didn't play for the team is what I'm trying to say. So technically, it's like six first-round picks if you put him in there. Um, and then also like Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, and like a plethora of other role players. So like insane package. And that was for Gobert. So like, obviously it makes sense why they're going to ask for more if they're going to trade Donovan Mitchell. As an organization, we can understand that and like understand where they're coming from. However, at some point we put our foot down and say, Mr. Danny Ainge, you are going to be the first one to lower your asking price so that we can get a deal done here because we are the ones that have the leverage, not you. And to any Jazz fan, oh, okay, well, to anybody that for some reason thinks that the Jazz have the leverage in this scenario, number one, let's look at the Jazz side first. Number one, Donovan Mitchell, there's no chance that he shows up to training camp like nothing happened. There's no chance that they just like have plans to start the season like with Donovan Mitchell and then like the roster completely changed from last season Rudy Gobert's gone uh Quinn Snyder's gone and Donovan Mitchell expressed his concern like when they uh relieved him of his duties so that will not happen and also from the Jazz perspective they're the ones that picked the New York Knicks as the number one suitor for if Donovan Mitchell is moved we're not just hyping up our own assets and saying, oh, you should pick us. We have the, we're better than this team and this team. They picked us, and many organizations around the league have picked the Knicks as potential suitors for if there is a disgruntled star, if they, if they need to get a deal done because of the amount of assets we have. Number one, the amount of draft capital, nine picks, nine first-round picks, that is, in the next five years. Number two, the barrage of young talent we have on this team. And number three, the veterans we have on expiring contracts. So it's a no-brainer who has the leverage here. It's the Knicks. It's not the Jazz. I mean, give me a break. So to get back to the question, who will budge first, I fully believe it will be on the Jazz side. And that's not to say I think tomorrow there's going to be like, okay, fine, I'll take one first-round pick and Evan Fournier. No, I think this is going to take time, and these things should. Like, we should wait this out and prove that we have the patience. And I'm glad that we didn't pull the trigger on something that we weren't fully confident with. I'm also glad at the fact that the Knicks have shown absolutely no desperation in this entire operation so far. And that's proven by the fact that we talked with the Jazz for 10, 14 days straight, and 
They Danny Ainge is firm on his asking price, which is fine because we said, okay, go ahead and listen to other offers. You will not find one better than ours. Just because trade talks stall does not mean they will not start up again. There's no reason to believe that the Jazz and the Knicks will not speak about this again in the not-so-distant future. And if there was a report that the Jazz were insulted by some sort of offer that the Knicks made, then that'd be a reason to argue that point, but there isn't, so we all just have to wait it out. While I know that we have the leverage and we will not be the first ones to budge, I don't think Danny Ainge is budging anytime soon. I think it has to get done before the beginning of the season, but there's a lot of time between now and the beginning of the season. In case you were curious exactly why the deal couldn't get done a couple weeks ago, and which player the Jazz wanted so badly that the Knicks were unwilling to include in the trade package, it's a very simple answer. It was Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly. The Jazz were getting greedy, and they wanted more than just Quentin Grimes, uh, you know, one or two veterans to make the money work, and six first-rounders. They wanted more. They wanted either Emmanuel Quickly or Obi Toppin, and the Knicks showed a very unwillingness to include either of them in the deal, and that's where the impasse started, is that the Knicks said, like, what you're offering us is not worth, you know, the package that we've been talking about plus OB or quickly, which makes me really happy because I fully agree. I don't think that they can just be included as a throw-in with Grimes and with all those first-rounders. I think that's giving up too much, so I'm glad. I'm just really happy that we've drawn the line there. And to me, like from what I'm understanding, it seems like that OB and quickly are about as close to untouchable as you can get without actually being untouchable. Like, we, like we've, we've talked about this uh, recently that RJ is basically our sole untouchable on the team, and uh, everybody else can be considered fair game and can be, you know, taken off the roster for a fair price. But uh, now we're kind of, it's kind of coming to light that IQ and OB are uh, pretty, pr- they're pretty high up there, uh, which makes me thrilled because I really think they deserve to be that three. I really, really want to build around that big three right there of RJ, OB, and IQ. So one bizarre topic of discussion that we really need to hit on ASAP, uh, news broke two weeks ago, say, so it's been too long uh, for me to not talk about it. Mark Stein originally reported and said, one league source advised me, these are Mark Stein's words, by the way, uh, in Las Vegas to keep an eye on the Knicks and Lakers discussing a potential Westbrook deal if, in big letters and separated by hyphens, if... Leon Rose can successfully bring Donovan Mitchell to Madison Square Garden. So, what does that mean? Well, it means that Donovan Mitchell might not be the only big name that still has yet to uh, come to New York this offseason, and that Leon Rose might have something else up his sleeve, essentially. And now, when I first heard this, and what you might be thinking now is like, what in what universe does it make sense to bring Russell Westbrook onto this team where we're trying to build around a core of like a young core with RJ and now we have Jalen Brunson and you know you know you know the deal why would West bringing in Westbrook to be our point guard make any sense well that's be, it doesn't it doesn't at all but the reason that we'd be bringing him in is not so he can be added to our backcourt listen to this Mark Stein also reported Um, The scenario is not because anyone thinks the Knicks want to add Russ to their backcourt. It stems from the idea that they may want to shed salary elsewhere on the roster, depending on what is included, if they can add Mitchell. 
there were some previous reports that stated something along the lines of uh, some members of the New York Knicks front office does not see Julius Randle as a long-term fit on this team, especially if Donovan Mitchell is brought onto the roster. So this is one way that we could possibly not only dump Randle's contract, but just get off of Randle and get him off of the team so that Obi is able to move into that starting lineup. I know it sounds kind of cruel, but listen, it's a business. And I'm not sure how clear I've made this, but I am certainly of the opinion that we should dump Randall pretty much as soon as possible, not by like all means, not just get him off the team by any means, not that kind of thing. And um, if we can make it work like this, I'm, I'm totally in favor of something like this. And it works in the Lakers' favor as well because they're in the same boat with uh, Russell Westbrook, essentially. I know Darvin Ham came in, uh, new Lakers head coach Darvin Ham came in and said, we're going to get Russ right. He's not going anywhere. Uh, that's that's just all talk. Like, I, I think most members of um, the Lakers front office is like, if there's a convenient way for them to move Russ off of the roster, I'm sure they'd do that. So this is, this is one example of that for both teams. It would work for both teams. So let me throw out a mock trade that Bleacher Report put together pretty recently i want to say it was like a couple days ago this trade has the lakers receiving julius randall and evan fournier in exchange for russell westbrook and a 2027 first round pick top five protected julius randall is sent back to the team that drafted him and we already know that the lakers would be interested in a julius randall reunion that's part of the reason why these trade talks started to spark um, or at least the rumors started to spread, is that the Lakers expressed some interest in bringing Randall back, and they think that he could help them win now. And of course, Fournier as well. Uh, they've been looking to add all sorts of shooters and veterans um, for you know the past couple of years now. In return, the Knicks would add to their draft capital, as well as taking on Russell Westbrook's enormous contract. And this is the part that I find really intriguing, because it's like, what do we do with Russell Westbrook after that trade goes down? Because, for one, we know that it's not insert him into the starting lineup and, you know, try to win now with Russ. And it would not be have this $47 million player come off our bench and do anything. Like, I'm not sure if it would result in an immediate buyout so then he can just go sign with another team on a much more team-friendly contract. Um, probably one that reflects how his play has been uh, more recently. So I'm not really sure. I, I, I couldn't tell you what would go on there, but my guess is that there'd be a buyout pretty soon afterwards. I don't think he, if that, even if this trade goes down, I don't think he even uh, plays a minute in a New York Knicks jersey. Um, but if he did for like this offseason and then he's just like there as like uh, a trade piece or if he even like sat out, um, this trade is still worth it for me because we get off of Randall and um, can free up some more space because we have that log jam in with the wings and like the uh, the shooting guard small forward position. We get uh, Evan Fournier off the team, which, you know, isn't as much of like a, a woohoo moment as it is uh, to get off of Randall because uh, I, th I think Evan Fournier actually did pretty solid this past year. Um, and I, I, w I'm not, I don't think that he needs to be moved before the start of the season by any means. Um, but it's just like a sweetener to the Lakers for this trade. But regardless, the trade would be Fournier and Randall 
to LA in exchange for Russ and a future first round pick with uh, you know some sort of protection on it. So it looks something like that. And me personally, I would love to see that go down after Donovan Mitchell gets traded to the Knicks. I like how just like in the whole Donovan Mitchell scenario, the Knicks front office is showing no desperation here at all. So like we said, they're not super desperate to bring uh, Mitchell in by some certain date, uh, nor are they trying to get Randall off the team by any means. And it's more of like a, it's something to keep in the back pocket. It's something they think that they can get done before the start of the season. But if they don't, it's not the end of the world. They don't see Randall as a long-term fit on the team. Obi's eventually going to slide into that starting power forward spot. Everybody knows it. So it just makes more sense to be like, let's like scour for some like a scenario like the Lakers with like they have a guy they want to get rid of and the contracts work so then maybe we get something done there rather than going to teams and saying hey we've got this player who we thought was good and thought was going to be the face of the franchise but this past season he played like dog crap so what can you give us for him and like you're just immediately saying We've got this guy who we want off the team. He's at like the lowest of the low in terms of his trade value. Um, you're immediately giving the other team the leverage. And these type of scenarios are all about leverage, guys. Trust me. This this whole episode is all about leverage. Because I've been I was talking about it with the Donovan Mitchell scenario. We have the leverage. That's a good thing. If we were to come out and say, we want Randall off the team, I don't care what you give us, just give us something. Well then they can easily you know throw low ball offers at us number one but also be like okay well if you include you know blank and blank then maybe we'll think about doing you the favor of taking on Randall and like you get him off the roster so then it's like a flip-flop like even though they're getting like an NBA player in Julius Randall we'd we'd be the ones that are getting the favor done to us if that makes sense I hope it does uh because I just like messed up the grammar there but that's what I'm trying to say is that I'm glad that we've moved past that as an organization and I like how it's just something in the back pocket something in the back of our minds and it's not the end of the world if we go into this season with Julius Randle still on the roster I don't know why I continuously forget to talk about Summer League but let me do that for a brief moment right now three weeks ago the Knicks played in the is the Summer League Championship against the Trailblazers, but unfortunately were defeated 85-77. to uh, It was an all-around rough game for the team, and Portland pretty much outplayed us from the jump. Um, on a good note, though, something great that came out of Summer League was Quentin Grimes uh, played phenomenal and was awarded and was recognized for his great play and was announced to be a part of the 2022 NBA Summer League First Team, which is, of course, uh, the Summer League equivalent of the uh, All-NBA First Team. So shout-out to Quentin Grimes. He played great. Um, I really like seeing that lineup with, like, Deuce at the 1 and uh, Grimes at the 2 and Jericho Sims holding down the paint. freaking love Jericho Sims, man. Well, hey guys, I think that's just about all I got for today's episode. Atlanta's great. I went to State Farm Arena for the first time for a WWE Friday Night Smackdown. Um, State Farm Arena is no MSG, but it was still pretty nice. I can't imagine too much unfolding within the next couple of weeks, but I will throw another episode at you two weeks from now. And at that point, I'll be back 
in my basement in good old New Jersey. That's just kind of contradicting good old New Jersey anyways. Uh, thank you guys for all for listening. Episode number 10 of Yelling and Propelling. Have a superb rest of your day or night, and I hope to see you again soon. Go next.